And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This episode of the VanCast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. And Drancer, this is a, an all-star break edition or coming out of the all-star break edition of the VanCast. And, oh boy, just when we thought the Canucks were out of it as far as COVID was concerned, their final game going into the break was the first time they had a completely COVID protocol list-free lineup. Everybody was back. And not so much. Their most important player, not named Thatcher Demko, who we're going to get into in a bit as far as the All-Star game is concerned. Quinn Hughes is now in the protocol. Tell, tell us through. Uh, tell us everything that you know at this point. Well, I know that Quinn Hughes, so players have to test one last time. And, and I'm talking about just those players who aren't on the testing holiday, right? Because they're relatively recent confirmed positives. So there's a 90-day window for confirmed positives. 90-day um, window where, you, where they don't have to test. Players after today will not test unless symptomatic or or crossing the border. Um, that's as a result of changes to the NHL protocol. So with regard to Hughes, took some time in the United States uh, for um, All-Star break and is now there on the other side of the border, having tested positive on reentry. So, um, yeah, Hughes in protocol, likely to miss... This homestand, probably, um, just because, you know, it's five days within NHL protocols, but it's 10 days to cross the border, as we've learned over the course of the past month with Bo Horvat and Yara Halak and Connor Garland and Brock Besser and Jason Dickinson and Justin Dowling and the list goes on. Uh, add Hughes to that group. Tough blow for this club coming out of the break and going into a handful of games that were pretty important. I mean... You know, if this team was going to resuscitate their playoff hopes and they end the All-Star break with an 8% chance of making the playoffs, according to Dom LeCision's model, 
uh, which, by the way, you can now stamp out on your VanCast bingo card. <laughs> I was um, just writing that down. <laughs> the, uh, the, you know, the fact is, is that the club's going to be down their best defenseman probably for the duration of this homestand. That's, uh, that's a very tough break. You know, we had said that there were two players this team simply could not afford to lose. And one was Thatcher Demko, who they lost, and they actually treaded water. Like, you know, regardless of what the result were was at that point, goaltending did not hurt them in, in the games that Thatcher Demko wasn't available. Can this team function without Quinn Hughes? Because I don't think they have a replacement option available like they did in goaltending. Not that they knew that they had it then. It just kind of manifested itself. I, I, don't, I don't see a way out of not having Quinn Hughes. Um, I mean, no, there's no replacement, although one would assume that it's Jack Rathbone time, right? I would hope so. I mean, one would hope. So that's the obvious storyline here is, is how can Rathbone play? Huge opportunity for the young man if he is indeed, and he should be, uh, the one the club taps on the shoulder to come in and, you know, take on a pretty heavy lift. I mean, probably not reasonable to expect Jack Rathbone to fill Quinn Hughes's estimable shoes but uh that's that's the task at hand and and look it's uh it's about as good an opportunity as you could ever possibly get particularly for a player who came into the season with high hopes like Rathbone did started the year on the roster and then sort of fell out uh, as a result of you know a variety of things mostly outside his control and then had a wash of injuries in his own COVID protocol stint and on and on, which sort of prevented him from Sorry, bud. getting it's, back it's, up and, to this it's, point. It's, and so it goes. And so it goes. Sorry, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to hit the blackout for everybody, or at least at least the four corners. Do you know I used to call bingo? No, come on, really? Yeah, I did at the uh, at the Chalmers Lodge on Twelfth and Granville. I did it for community service hours in um, high school, and I used to make like really bad jokes, like you think my puns are bad now. My bingo puns were truly horrendous, right? Like, um, like, uh, you know, I, I found a lump on my chest the other day, but luckily it was under the B9. It was B9. <laughs> I got a long list of bingo puns. So that was the maniacal laugh. Um, right. Well, we were going to hit that. Yeah, no, but uh, and so it goes. And fundamentally, this team can't function without Quinn Hughes. But you need to say it. It doesn't work if I say it. So. So, but you're right. Let's let's we'll get to bingo in a moment. But it's it just is so irresistible to just kind of you tee it up, and I just want to hit it out. But um, as far as as far as Jack Rathbone is concerned, is he ready for this? Is he ready for this? Because yeah. they're not going mean, to give him Quinn Hughes kind of minutes. Like that's not going to no. happen, right? But at the same time, I mean, no, and probably not Quinn Hughes power power play one, considering that they've been using OEL there. Sure. So, uh, I mean, I don't think it's really like he steps into Quinn Hughes's role. We've also seen Brad Hunt play a lot under Bruce Boudreau, and we'll see where uh, Kyle Burroughs is at. Um, you know, not that he's the Burrow that we'll all be watching this week, but uh, but Kyle Burroughs has played a lot on the left side. I think the club likes him there. So, you know, he, it could be a, a matter of OEL, uh, Hunt, and Burroughs, just sort of, if Burroughs is back in the lineup in time, uh, just kind of bumping one slot up. But, you know, I would expect we see some Jack Rathbone here. They're going to need... They're going to need that thrust from the back end, that that sort of dynamic offensive ability uh, in Hughes' absence. And look, that would be a great opportunity for the young man. Just awesome. Like, it's just awesome. We want to see him anyway, right? 
You need no, to no evaluate question. him. Yeah, like this, and, and now you got a couple weeks. The opportunity's been long overdue in my mind. You know, and we've talked about this before in terms of what their bo- the bottom of their defense looks like. And I just think that he should have been up here. And I, yes, I know he was dealing with an injury, but once he was physically able and had a couple of games down in the minors, I think they should have found a way to get him here because um, they need more, right? I mean, it's it's been evident that they need more offense from their back end. They need that ability to skate. They need that ability to exit the puck and not play punt and hunt all the time. And and it's not like he was going to get 20 minutes, but even if he gets 14 minutes, I, I think it could be 14 valuable minutes for both him and the club. As we leave Quinn Hughes, because, you know, this is this is that classic example of how the Canadian teams are at a disadvantage, right? Like, there's no way around that, right? This, um, this affects Canadian teams more than it does American teams, and this is the easy example of that because restrictions on both sides of the border have been eased. However, at the border, they haven't been. So... They're, the club's between a rock and a hard place here, and the players as well. I'm curious to know if he crossed or attempted to cross on the Ontario side or here in BC, and if he'll wind up going to Seattle and, and work with the Thunderbirds like Bo Horvat did, or if he finds a, a team in, in uh, Windsor, or sorry, in the Detroit side or someplace there uh, to potentially play for, uh, or at least train with and try to stay fit and healthy over the course of the next 10 days that he's going to have to sit here and watch. But an unfortunate situation because Quinn Hughes has been playing exceptionally well. Should Quinn Hughes have been an all-star? And I know that we we didn't get a chance to debate this when the all-stars came out. And there are fewer spots because of the format of the game now. And Demko was the obvious selection. But when you look at the numbers that Hughes has put up and just what he's meant to this team, a team that's been pretty ordinary, should he have been an all-star? I mean, I think he should. I think he should have been an all-star, to be honest with you. I, I do. Like, I think he's having an all-star caliber season. Uh, personally, um, you know, that said, you can only you, you if you're not like one of those loaded teams that does that clearly deserves to have three guys there. It's really hard to have multiples in the three on three overtime format era. I mean, even Trevor Zegris wasn't there. And if you were at, to ask me who the biggest snub in the Pacific was, it was it was Trevor Zegris. So, you know, I mean, I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's an outrage. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. But I do think that Quinn Hughes has been at an all-star level and, and certainly would have improved the Pacific Division entry, right? I mean, they needed another defenseman. Like, that roster needed another defenseman. So, I mean, for tactical reasons, Quinn Hughes should have been an all-star. He was there anyway. Like, he was there supporting his brother and his buddies. So, yeah, I mean, they should have just had him in the game. <laughs> That's my view. Yeah. No question. No question. Quinn Hughes is an all-star. Period. Let's talk a bit about the All-Star game. And, and Thatcher Demko, do you take anything away from his performances? Two goals allowed on 12 shots. Uh, good shot of him trying to play defense and, um, you know, and get in the way on an empty net situation. But, you know, really, it's so hard to judge goaltenders in the skills, in anything, just because of the bizarre nature of, of what you're asked to, to face. Well, yeah, it's I mean, it's been a bizarre season. Everything's bizarre. Right. And the you know the the thing for the Canucks, from my perspective, really on the on the Hughes absence, is just like you've got this back to back against Arizona and the Islanders, and you know you you pick up those four points if you can at home for the first time in a long time, and you know maybe it gives you some some life, like maybe it makes it more p- probable possible anyway that you are able to back into a playoff spot. Because you got Toronto on Saturday, and then the schedule gets a little bit dicey again, right? You've got some really important games against the San Jose's and the Anaheim's of the world. Um, so, you know, this next nine 
games coming out of uh, out of the month of February, I think are really important. And and if you're at without Quinn through about the 17th, which is you know what what Jim Rutherford seems to expect based on his conversation this morning with Rick Dollywall, um, that's tough. Like that's a really tough spot for this club to be in. I think the loss of Quinn Hughes is massive, incalculable. I think it gives them a blue line that's really going to look stuck in the mud some games. And and as much as the punt and hunt um, strategy has has made this defense core perhaps look more passable than it did in the first 25, there are still limits to that. Like you still need a guy. Uh, I mean, ideally, you need more who can who can make hay and transition the way Quinn can. So being without that. I mean, I think that's going to be a massive stressor on this team at a moment that they really couldn't afford to be shorthanded in any way, considering the long odds they face. Yeah, best case as far as Quinn Hughes is concerned is that he doesn't play, that he misses three games because, they, of course, Toronto's on Saturday and then they're in San Jose on the 17th. So at the very least, he could meet the club there and and get through that part of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, these, these three games are going to tell a lot. Well, yeah, 100%. The... The issue, <laughs> yeah, I mean, these three games are crucial. But, you know, I do think, like, I do think that this new look management group has a pretty good sense of how far a distance this team needs to travel, right? And I think, you know, I, I want to I discuss this from a, from a certain lens, which is the idea of the present versus the future, right? The idea of what you are now versus what you can be a couple of years down the line. And this has been something we've discussed in the Vancouver market ad nauseum. And somehow we ended up getting into debates about uh, whether the Canucks had cap space issues when of course they did. Um, and, you know, the idea of meaningful games in March as opposed to having a long-term plan and on and on. And so this team, which now has only made the playoffs once in the last eight years, right, is now looking at a world where they're going to miss again, right? and are not going to have any cap space, are not going to have their full you know, weaponry draft pick-wise for the 2022 NHL entry draft, and also you know, don't have a ton of prospects coming after Jack Rathbone, who may be back in the lineup this week and may never leave. Like That, that may be it for him as a prospect outside the NHL, at, at which point you have nothing else coming. And so, or at least nothing else that you feel is a sure thing, a slam dunk. So. You know, as you look around, it's like this team's not good. <laughs> don't have flex, don't have picks, don't have prospects. So at the moment, I don't think it's a much up for debate, really, that the Canucks are not as good, even at, at, at their Bruce Boudreaux bump best, as Calgary and Vegas. Would you agree? Yeah, totally. Are they as well set up for the future, in your view, as Anaheim and Los Angeles? No, uh, I mean, it, it, look, I haven't uh, done the deep dive on those two rosters, uh, to be fair, but in terms of where the Canucks are set up for the future, knowing that they potentially have to lose one or two pieces, or let's say one piece of, you can debate whether or not you want to call them part of the core, right? If you if you reduce the core down to four players, but they're going to lose a key piece at some point, unless they can get a, a way out of the Tyler Myers deal. And then after that, there's nobody coming, right? So you're going to have to take a step back, and it's going to be hard to take a step forward because who are you prepping? Who are you waiting for? So, yeah, I, I don't know that they're as set up for the future as Canuck fans would like to see them. Yeah, so for all of the pain that this market endured, and it did mine some really good players in, in Pedersen and Hughes, 
Um, you know, you're already not as good as, you know, at least two teams in your division, even when you're at your absolute best. And, you know, frankly, I th- I'd put them lower than that, right? I think Calgary and I think LA is already better than them for sure. Um, and then your future is not as bright even as multiple teams in your division. And I think as Rutherford and company grapple with that, you know, this week is a really crucial one, right? Like Emily Castonguay, since she's been hired as assistant general manager, has been working from Montreal. She's in town this week uh, at last. Patrick Alvin joined the club on the road last week and has already been taking trade calls on the club's behalf. Like he's been working, but he's in town this week. So now, finally, you've got this group that Rutherford has busily assembled uh, all together. And it's going to be a really essential week of meetings. And, and I mean, for me, the thing that's got to govern this decision-making process in the lead-up to the deadline is, you know, we're not, like, we're, we are at risk as a franchise of getting stuck in, in this middle ground where we're not built for now or the future. And that's where they're at right now, right? Even if you take the most optimistic if only they'd sustain the form that they've managed under Boudreaux over the course of the full season, they'd be a playoff team take on this club, which, by the way, I still think overrates them. Like, I still don't think they're a playoff caliber roster, to be totally honest with you. No shocker from a guy who's been wailing on, on the construction of this lineup for, I don't know, before it was assembled. <laughs> but you have the, to say roster construction. You can't say construction of this roster. Oh, okay. The roster construction. Yeah. Knock it off. The um the fact is is you know to get from to get from there to get from being fringe playoff team in the Pacific as your ceiling at the moment um to where you want to be contending like that's going to require massive surgery in my view massive surgery like triage <laughs> that's the task at hand um I think that's where the decision will land I think they have to have their eyes wide open to that but. Uh, either way, that decision will be made and a, and a course forward for this franchise will be charted in large part this week by some of the new people that are at the helm, uh, led by Jim Rutherford, of course, of Canucks Hockey Operations. It's going to be fascinating to watch it play out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Dramps, you talk about the meetings that are going to happen and that they've got the whole team together and they're going to go through the direction they need to get to. But interesting last week is that Jim Rutherford 
talked about this team not needing a rebuild, but rather needing a retool. Now, of course, we went through this a year ago, and it brings up bad memories from when Trevor Linden coined the term retool. They didn't want to go down the the verbiage and baggage associated with rebuild. And then eventually, a couple of years later, Jim Benning had to concede that, yeah, we're in the midst of a rebuild. What did you make of that? Essentially, that this could be touch-up surgery, you know, and he said, he goes, we've got a lot of good pieces here. So is he saying that a lot of the heavy lifting and the rebuild has already been done because we sucked so bad, we were able to draft Pedersen and Hughes and we were able to, you know, get the goaltender that we needed and 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 find our leader and so on. Like, is is that kind of the thought that we, you know, we, we did do the ugly stuff and now it's it's a bit of a different direction that we need to get to and, and maybe we can do it in two years. Well, and I think that's fair because, you know, you've got, Elias Pettersson is 23. You've got Brock Besser is 24. You've got Bo Horvat is 26. That's probably leaving his statistical prime, but is still young. Quinn Hughes is 22 and Thatcher Demko is 26. So, you know, when you go through the list and granted, that's only four. uh, Sorry, that's five guys, you know, all under the age of 26. There's, you know, two top liners, three top liners in that group, a top pair defenseman and a goalie. Um, yeah, that's not a that's not a tear it down rebuild. That's a good bones flawed team rebuild, in my view. So that is different. But make no mistake, like if there's one thing you would have want for this franchise in the next two years, it's a lottery win, <laughs> right? Like it's one more piece for sure, for sure. Especially because you know, does this team have a franchise player a la Austin Matthews? Or McDavid, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say it's probably fair to say no, right? So if you don't, um, and and if you're counting on now, now it could happen. We talked, we've talked about Pedersen leveling up. We've talked about uh, that's another one, isn't it? Uh, we've talked about Quinn Hughes leveling up. Like there, you can get there in terms of some of the players on this roster. You you think that they have a shot, but yeah, I mean, could this team use a bona fide franchise level player for sure? For sure. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I brought this up early in the early days of the season. The idea that, like, what if what if Hughes is this this rebuilds Morgan Riley and Pedersen is this rebuilds Nazem Kadri, right? And this team actually needs that next level of player up. Um, you know, that happens. We've seen that happen in a lot of places. Edmonton, right? Nugent Hopkins wasn't McDavid, right? McDavid was McDavid. Um, so, you know, we'll sort of see... We'll sort of see exactly what the approach is, but, you know, I do think you kind of need to take a step back and accumulate some assets here, uh, in my view anyway, if you're going to win a cup in the next three, four years, because, you know, the roster is not good enough and not flexible enough, and there's not enough coming without pulling off some magic, in my view, in terms of finding ways to shed salary on the blue line in particular, finding ways to... Um, you know, take a shot on some good young players who all kind of hit or or at least a few who hit. Um, you need to be really sharp about restoring depth and flexibility into this lineup. You know, the the Florida model, I think, is a, is an instructive one. The Colorado model is an instructive one, right? The the success they had in was first season followed by a two year mini sort of rebuild like the Canucks have just had a two year hiccup. Similar to that, right? Um to get out of it, part of getting out of that from a Colorado perspective was that Ryan O'Reilly and Matt Duchesne moved on. Wasn't it? Yep. Right? Like there are, there is a, 
you know, development's not always linear for players or for teams. And the Canucks as a team have had sort of this two-year hiccup where they have not sustained the momentum of their step forward in 1920. And, you know, for all of that, I, I don't think they've capitalized on those two years of struggles by doing some of the rental selling asset accumulation stuff. They, I mean, they even traded their top 10 pick this last year. So, you know, leaning into the pain that you're going to suffer anyway is like part of how you can get a rebuild back on track, become an elite team. And I do think it's long overdue that this team embrace that with the sort of discipline required to take full advantage. Yeah, I mean, it seems that they're going to be in that murky middle, right? I mean, you talk about teams that just finish a couple of spots out of the playoffs, and, and that's just not the place to be. And who knows if this club's going to finish that high, but that's the challenge, right, is that you can't go from Nugent Hopkins to McDavid, given where they are currently. You know what I mean? Like, they're almost too good for that, even though they're not close to where they need to be. I, I, I feel you, yeah. and well, and, But they, you know, the lottery... Is a great equalizer, right? I mean, I'm not saying they should go for lottery odds, but I do think accepting that you're likely to not make the playoffs this year and steering into that is helpful. Like, I, I do think that matters. I do think every percentage point matters. And, and I know fans hate to hear it. They hate to be back here. We were just here fighting these wars, but that's where they are, whether they like it or not, most likely, uh, short of a miracle. And, you know, I, I don't even see the goal of, of the playoffs as being worthwhile because, what, you, you get stomped by the Jack Eichel-led Vegas Golden Knights or the Colorado Avalanche? Like, the Colorado Avalanche have, won, have lost one game in regulation since December 5th. One game! Like, what's the advantage of playing five games against the Avalanche buzzsaw and just getting throttled? What's the advantage there? I just, I don't even see it as being worthwhile. It's not even a worthwhile goal. Yeah, you're, you're going to get people on the other side that say at some point you've got to just get in before you can take the next step. And maybe that happened two years ago. And that's great. I'd love to play poker against those players, those people. Like, come play poker. Like, let's go. <laughs> you know, that's just that's just childish. Uh, it may be. It may be. But the fans do need something at some point to feel like they're headed in the right direction. And sometimes it's hard to see that when it's just constant struggle. So I do appreciate where the fans are coming from. But I certainly from a practical standpoint, what you say is correct. But. You know, when you, you when you look at it from their end, like we need to see some light at the end of this tunnel. And quite frankly, the players need to see it. And the players don't have the pragmatic big well, picture the, view that you yeah. think they should have because the players, if they see continuous failure, you know, they, they're not looking at the big picture, man. They want to get into the playoffs. They want to set themselves up for the right contracts. They want to be in those positions and those conversations. There's going to come a time where certain players well, say enough. I want to move on. I don't want to be a part of what this is supposed to eventually look like. Well, and I'm sensitive to that more than anything, especially because of what last season looked like um, and and how demoralizing it was to take the step back that they did in 2021. So, you know, I think that's one of the most difficult parts for Rutherford to navigate, particularly because the team has played so well under Boudreaux. Um, but I don't think the success that Boudreaux has had fundamentally alters the equation of what this team requires, which is you know, uh, to hit the accelerator in a massive way and, and catch up on doing some of the work to flesh out the foundation of this organization that was fundamentally ignored and or compromised as the club took shortcut after shortcut during the latter stages of the Benning era. And, you know, I, I know that sucks, but that's where they're at. And I think an honest assessment of it, which I, I expect the organization to do, um, especially this week, as Rutherford has his 
you know, chief lieutenants in town and Patrick Alvin begins to get comfortable in the big chair in Vancouver. Um, you know, I, I expect that's where they're going to land because you can't, they can't look at this. And I don't think they will look at this and conclude anything but we're not as good as at least the top two teams in the Pacific. And, and you can probably add a couple to the list. And our rebuilding effort, as long as it's been going on, has already been surpassed in terms of how confident you are for the next five years of the franchise by two other teams in our division in Anaheim and L.A. I mean, you know, the task ahead is really daunting. The path is really steep. This franchise is in a really, really precarious spot. Um, I think it's I think it's important to grapple with that honestly if you're going to chart a course and and lead it out. I mean, that's why you that's why you bring in Jim Rutherford, right? You don't bring in Jim Rutherford to have petty arguments about cutting corners. You you bring him in to to guide you to winning a Stanley Cup, and and I don't think winning a Stanley Cup comes from doubling down on a roster this flawed. That's just that's just the the truth of the matter as I see it, the hard truth, but the truth nonetheless. So take me through what this week is going to look like. I mean, do they look at it from day one because they've got them all there, or they've already they've already they already know what they're going to do, and now it just becomes what's step one? And if, if that is the case, what is step one right now? <sighs> the, I mean, step one is for me clear out twenty five million in salary space <laughs> for this offseason. That's step one. Currently, they're projected to have thirteen point eight. That's that's assuming that Halak's $1.5 million bonus counts as an overage on the Canucks books for the 2022-23 campaign. So you're looking at you know needing to carve out an additional $12 million in salary. Um that's tough. That's tough. That to me is is task one. And you know, if it requires trading good players, that's what it requires. But you need that flexibility to do the sorts of things that you can do when you're a team with with that flex. And and again, this isn't about this isn't about weaponizing cap space to take on bad contracts for assets. Like I don't think the team because of the group of players that we enumerated, right? The the guys under 26, um, you know, I don't think this team's in a position to go scorched earth here, right? This is this you can't. You can't. You owe it to those young guys um who've been through a lot of losing. To to do to accelerate this more quickly than that. So, but but I do think you need that cap space so that you can take shots, roll the dice, do the types of moves, the low the low cost bets in volume that are required to add, you know, those sort of mid range contributors, guys you win with at the right levels uh, to identify the next Carter Verhage. I think that's another square on the bingo um, on the bingo thing. But you need to do that volume approach that we've been advocating for for years at the Athletic Vancouver. Like you do need cap space to make those bets. You also need cap space to make versions of the original JT Miller deal, right? Like if you have twenty five million in cap space, then when teams need to, like the Washington Capitals did this season when they needed to move Brendan Dillon, like then you're positioned to acquire Brendan Dillon for draft picks. Um, you're in in position to. You know, what about a team like Toronto, who's going to have significant cap issues following this season? Like Pierre Engvall, Andres Kasha, Alex Kerfoot. Like, those are all guys who could prove to be luxury items. Uh, Travis Dermott. Is Travis Dermott like a good Justin Schultz 
salvage case for the Canucks, you know, in in that mold. Um, or Marcus Patterson or or Mike Matheson. Those are all Pittsburgh specials, right? Take a take a roll of the dice on a defender with good skills who hasn't quite put it all together for his current team. Maybe he's a better fit for you. Um, you know, your position to take those deals on, your position to get value for you know, cents on the dollar if you have cap space. So for me, step one is carve out minimum $25 million in cap space. And the Canucks are well positioned because a lot of the guys they have attached to money, to attach to big money, are really, really valuable. So there's a possibility that you could potentially make those deals and accumulate assets. Step two for me, Farhan, is try and get a pick that's future forward, right? Like, I don't you know, a 2022 first round pick is good. A 2023 first round pick is better, right? And and if you have a pick that becomes less and less protected as it rolls over years, years down the line, that to me is the type of asset that can really add gasoline, fire, oil to a rebuild. Um, Cooking with oil was not on the, was not on the board, was it? Nitrous was not. I think it was. Were they? Nitrous, nitrous wasn't. Cooking with oil was, yeah. Um, But the, but then, you know, if you can get one of those picks like the Avalanche did to select Bowen Byram or like the Columbus Blue Jackets currently hold with the Chicago Blackhawks, like that to me is the asset you need first and foremost. Like number one on my wish list is that if I was to if I was to say, what should this franchise do? It's it's go find that future first round pick that could end up being unprotected. Go bet against a team. Um, that to me is number one. But number two would be like some good young players that are capable of stepping in pretty much right away you know your your analog to adam bockfist for seth jones a guy who can at least come help you uh be roughly as good next year if not better um you know so i think about a guy and i know when people think about the minnesota wild being interested in jt miller everyone gets really excited about like carson lambos who was on the uh, canadian team or matt boldy who's definitely not moving he's outrageously good but you know what about a guy like a like a beckman is is the sort of guy like fast, really good AHL counting stats, just twenty years old. Like that's sort of the guy that I'm thinking of as a as a perfect fit for this team. Like a guy who's got space to get better, is cheap for another couple of years, um, maybe helps you not take the sort of step back that you think you're gonna take in the event that you lose a player as good as JT Miller. So, you know, those are the types of deals that I think this team should be looking at is is those young, undervalued pros. Uh, another good example of this is a guy like Sonny Milano. Like Sonny Milano, the Anaheim Ducks couldn't give him away 12 months for, uh, ago because um, he, he had a $1.7 million contract. People were like, yeah, well, I mean, that's a lot of money for a guy who might not play. Guys like almost point per game this year. You know, like find those guys. That's the, that's the task at hand is just to find value wherever you can. And there's so much inefficient evaluation across the league that those opportunities exist. Um, you're going to have another strong secondary market for guys who aren't qualified this year. You're going to have opportunities to find David Kampf's. And honestly, even guys like Yuho Lamico or a guy like Matthew Highmore, like this team's even done it a few times. Like those guys can help you win. So, um, you know, I, I'd like to see the club find some higher end versions of that. Some guys who can play in the second line or or help the first line. Um, that to me, that to me, those are the like, central tenets of the strategy but it starts with clearing cap space it continues by you know ideally adding a super premium asset in a uh, future first round pick that rolls over down the line and could be unprotected 
And then and then step three for me is, you know, prioritizing some guys who can be better for you than they were for their current teams and are and are still really young. And by the way, that's kind of been Rutherford's model over the years. Finding hockey players like that um, was sort of essential to what they did in winning back to back cups in Pittsburgh. Um, that's a promising sign because that's what this team needs more than anything. They need some wins. They need some talent. They need better hockey players, period. And then they can cook with oil, which actually wasn't on the bingo card. I can't believe that. Uh, when we come, Was it not? Yeah, no, it wasn't. Listen, we've got to take a quick break because we're over here. But um, we will uh, get into a couple of names you had mentioned earlier. I want to dive deeper on that. And, of course, transfer bingo. No NFL picks this week. That's on Thursday. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Drench, you mentioned Yaro Halak and his bonus overage. Is there any kind of an update on, on trade talks around Halak? Interest level? Uh, no trade clause? Any of that as it relates to to him for the coming uh, for the coming trade deadline. Yeah, so I've been looking into it for the past few days just because I didn't have clarity. Every cap guy in the league that I talked to, with the exception of one, said that they thought the Canucks would be stuck with the hit in the event that he appeared in his tenth game for uh, played for the Canucks. Um, one guy mentioned to me that it was probably contingent on the wording of the deal, and that some performance bonuses you pay automatically. And if it was paid by the team that holds the contract, then they would be stuck with the cap hit uh, when it comes to accounting for that payment. However, having checked into this, Halak's bonus is written so that he has to be paid it within 30 days following the conclusion of the season. And so as a result, it could be an an item for negotiation in the event that Halak were willing to be dealt because he has a bulletproof NMC. Um, and potentially that bonus could be dealt with Halak's contract and travel with the contract, although not necessarily. It doesn't necessarily travel. Um, so Jim Rutherford spoke with him yesterday. He said that Halak's contract status will not impact coaches' decisions on their goaltenders. And so I would expect Halak to hit his 10th game played for the Canucks this uh, week. And thereafter, whether the Canucks end up with that $1.25 million as an overage or not, and there's, of course, another 250K overage that could come from his save percentage. But from the game's played bonus, um, it is possible still for the Canucks to duck it. However, it will require them finding just the right fit on the trade market or, or alternatively, uh, getting out of LTI by shedding sufficient salary that they can get like $6.1 million out of LTI and onto normal IR, which is really complicated to do and I would say unlikely, but not impossible. So those are sort of the two scenarios. Halak will probably hit the bonus this week. Um, I think he's earned a lot of respect within the organization, obviously around the league for what he's done, being one of the most consistent puck stoppers the last 10 years. Um, They're not going to screw with him in terms of allowing him to hit that bonus. They're going to behave in good faith, which is, you know, the right call, to be honest. However, however, um, fans and people without skin in the game might advise that they play it. That is the right way to treat people. And, and I do think you uh, are always better off treating people 
well in in a small world business like the NHL. I mean, in every business, to be totally honest with you, I do think uh, advantages accrue to people who do the right things, behave ethically. So, you know, they're not going to they're not going to play that game. They shouldn't. And then we'll see as to what the market might look like. But, you know, I think it's going to be really complicated. Like, Halak will be an attractive piece for teams looking to shore up their goaltending depth. And it only takes, you know, one injury or one run of really poor performance for a team to really want that quality 1B option that Halak provides and has historically provided over the course of his career. Um, That could well evolve and happen over the next seven weeks. But, you know, what the Canucks now need, really, is a contender that Halak would be willing to wave to go to, right? So it has to probably be the right contender in the right location with the right realistic shot of winning a Stanley Cup. Uh, it probably all has to line up for a player who is a family man, is family-oriented, negotiated for his NMC, and probably, if left to his druthers, would prefer to just play out the year with the team that he signed for. So it needs to be a really compelling fit for Halak. That team also needs to be willing to part with assets, presumably, to take on the deal and willing to eat the cap hit of the bonus. Um, you know, that's that's a tough that's a tough thing to figure out in terms of aligning all of those goals. Um, you know, <laughs> threading that needle, like that's a Houdini level escape if the Canucks can pull it off, to be totally honest with you, Farhan. I wouldn't count on it, to be honest with you. Um, but but I am sort of upping the stakes on the difficulty in part because I think it's important that it's understood. I'm not going to be criticizing this management group if they can't find a way to move Halak's deal the way that we, you know, have historically criticized uh, Canucks managers for failing to trade expiring contracts at the deadline. Like, this is not Radim Verbata or Dan Hamuse. This is a totally separate, different, far more complicated situation and also not one of the club's own making, um, or, or at least not of the current management's own making. Uh, if they can get out of this deal, uh, that will be... You know, if they can move the contract, if they can find a way to get that deal done, that will be worthy of praise. But the flip side of it is that if they can't, it's not for me going to be uh, it's not going to warrant undue criticism either. It's a really, really, you know, tough needle to thread. Let's look ahead at the schedule for the Canucks right now. And, you know, I was expecting worse, quite frankly. And I know we've had a chance to touch on the schedule first when it got made, but they've got back to backs here. Play Toronto four game four days off. And it actually is pretty palatable. When you considered what it was supposed to look like, the compressed nature of the schedule, given what this team has lost, um, Arizona and the Islanders coming up in back-to-back games on Tuesday and Wednesday. I mean, just uh, what are your expectations? You know, we had set a bit of a high bar that they needed three of their last four points, and they they got two of them. Um, they're running out of runway here. Yeah. They, so the, <laughs> I mean, the Canucks have a really tough climb to get back into this race. We all know that, and starting off with a back-to-back that looks pretty favorable, right? I mean, Arizona, you know, not very good. Although, Vegmelka, Vegmelka is the most entertaining man in hockey. Like, a Vegmelka-Demko goaltending battle, which is what I'm hopeful we see on Tuesday. Like, sign me up for that. I can't wait to see Kirill the Thrill live. Like, I'm stoked. He's incredible. So, that's uh, those are not a freebie two points. We've seen the Coyotes beat the Maple Leafs. We've seen them beat the Colorado Avalanche. We've seen them beat really good teams uh, despite being, you know, brutal, like truly awful, uh, despite having Travis Boyd as their top line center. It's the Travis Boyd homecoming, by the way. 
Um, so we'll, I'll look forward to that at Rogers Arena on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, like the New York Islanders have played really well for about eight weeks now. Like this is not, this is not November's New York Islanders. This is back to being that stingy, annoying defensive outfit that they have been in the past two seasons as opposed to this year. So, um, the Islanders are not, that's not an easy two points. Like the Back-to-back Island, uh, Coyotes Islanders seems favorable, but it's sneaky tough, sneaky dangerous for this Canucks team. And then you've got the Maple Leafs on Saturday, and we all know the Maple Leafs are uh, really good, really good. They uh, That top line is terrifying right now. Austin Matthews, Austin Matthews, you know, for me, uh, Austin Matthews and, and Johnny Gaudreau are the two MVP candidates we're not really talking about. Um, they have been so good this year and, and Matthews in particular. So, you know, the Leafs are going to be lethal. They're, they're going to be a very dangerous opponent for the Canucks on Saturday afternoon. It's a 4 PM start Farhan, uh, which our listeners will love. And we will love too, because it allows us to get a lot of sleep before the Super Bowl. You're not going to be there though, right? You'll be in the, you'll be in LA. I'm in LA now. I won't uh, be there for any of the next Oh, you're, you're in LA all week. I'm in LA all week. Super Bowl week, my friend. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, tell Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase that I love them. Tell them thank you for the fantasy championship that I won. I will. I will make sure to do that. Um, yeah. Thank you. You know, as as the Arizona game jumps out at me on the schedule, I want to go back to the All Star game a little bit and Gary Bettman. What are they doing in Arizona? It's like it's it, it's so desperate that they want to stay in that market, but they're going to play on a, in a five thousand seat arena that isn't ready yet for a holding pattern for an arena that they don't have a commitment to building. I mean, I I can't answer that question for you. All I can say is I don't know why the I mean, I it's a mess. An absolute mess. The Arizona thing has just gotten uglier and uglier for the NHL over the years. Uh and now it's at a point of being truly untenable and and really at a point where I think it threatens the league uh in terms of you know like who's going to play there? How how are they going to be able to afford to ice a uh, a uh, to even hit the salary cap floor with the types of revenues you can generate in a barn with 3,200 people. I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's really unfortunate. I, I also thought the, you know, uh, lack of consequences for, um, for Rocky Wirtz. I thought oh that was goodness. another black eye for the NHL, especially the idea of it being an emotional outburst. Yeah, but completely predictable. Um, completely predictable that he was going to go down that road and not even consider disciplining him. For sure. But, I mean, that doesn't make it okay, right? Just because it's, it's what we expect doesn't mean that it's fine. You're especially right. because I thought, I thought Sheldon Keefe put it well, right? Like, that's a window into the type of attitude that creates a culture where no one speaks up. Right? Yeah, like it was wrong on so many levels. It was this window into a problem that's intractable, which is, you know, uh, leaders that legitimately react negatively to even like softball expressions of bad news. Um, Detestable. Uh, A really ugly moment for the NHL. And, you know, I I thought it was a cowardly response from the commissioner to be totally honest with you so well a commissioner that's had a litany of them and it's not going to change and he's too deep into his career and he's too well respected by the owners that pay his salary it is never going to change the culture of hockey will never change under gary bettman it simply won't and if the next hire is bill daly then it's going to be just as bad right like they need significant change but the owners just don't see it that way so they will hire bettman light for now 
because we'll see what owners look like in 10 years, right? I mean, that's the that's the thing to watch for. As you get more and more, you know, of the Henry Group and the um, you know, money that's going to come in from private equity firms and and more of the technocratic money into the league, how does the culture change? How does that destabilize the old nexus of power within the league? Um, that's that's, you know, the big story to watch for. But, you know, I I was wildly unimpressed. Um, you know, one last thing, I thought the, I thought the fact that they had a pre-recorded, um, skills competition game and that the bookies were taking bets on the outcome and everyone had known that Pavelski was going to win the event. And then the bookies had to just cancel the bet because of how it was structured and how the news had gotten out beforehand. Um, you know, that to me too, was this like, big blinking light reminding us and and obviously i have the sports betting take because i've been uh, getting really into it of late outside of hockey of course i don't wager on hockey but the um the fact that the league itself struggles to be a be a gambling product is something that you know harms their ability to hook new fans new casual fans to to some extent and and i mean sure but if you've seen their response on injuries Sure, it, it yeah, tells exactly. you like they don't care, right? I mean, no, I, I know don't that care. in the athletic, you um, don't even you don't even have to confirm a starting goalie. No, Dillman and Duhatchik did a wonderful story, like probably about four months ago now. Maybe it was longer; it might have been last May. And they talked to Bill Daly, and they don't care. Like they they will not change the culture of injuries, which has degraded, degenerated over the last you know ten to twelve years into absolute nothingness. The league yeah. doesn't care, and they say the the gaming companies or the booking the the casinos don't tell us any, they they don't tell us we have to do this. So it won't change. Yeah, but the the gambling money itself does. I mean, I, I anyway the the fact is is that even without touching injuries, there there are some simple steps that the league could take to at least be transparent or or require teams to be transparent about practice attendance and and basic lineup expectations and starting goaltenders and and I mean there's easy requirements you could uh, numbers on practice jerseys. There's there's a bunch of steps you could take to make the product far more appealing to gamblers. And I just thought this was uh, a moment that really revealed how um, much distance the league still has to travel to catch up to the rest of the professional sporting world in North America. One other thing that came out of the All-Star game was Bettman suggesting that uh, some of these Canadian teams are looking to move into the U.S. temporarily because of the Canadian restrictions. No, come on. Come on. And where are you going? And how much do you think you could sell there? <laughs> yeah. Like, what, are they going to go play in Baltimore? Or, like, what, really? Yeah, seriously. Like, like, like you're going to be able to charge Vancouver or Toronto ticket prices in, in some of those American markets. Like, stop it. Stop it. And, you know, I, I, I thought that was another tough moment, especially considering the league had leaned on the cooperation of the Canadian government and also the Canadian government's relative success at containing COVID during the first wave to play games to conclude the 2020 season, right? To then turn around and and blast the same sort of biases that enabled that you were able to take advantage of 2 years ago, right? Uh, Canadians bias for precaution. The Canadian the same bias for precaution that get Bettman put on blast for eating into league revenues at All-Star weekend is the same bias that permitted the 2019-20 NHL season to conclude. And so I thought that was a very cynical way of uh, having your cake and eating it too, um, you know, and I, I'm pretty resentful of it, particularly with what's going on in this country and the tenor of discussions about our response to COVID. Um, you know, I thought it was a bad time 
for a well-respected public institution to throw gasoline on that fire. Um, you know, I thought it was detestable, but what else do you expect from that commissioner? Yeah, you, you know, well said, because uh, given what's happening in Ottawa, that's not the time to say this, but um, not that there is a good time yeah, to say like, this. Yeah, like league also, revenue, league re- have, some, have some sensitivity, man. Just well, like, but it, it also, you, you, you've got a real, um, you're really overestimating who you are. And I get that Canada's hockey is important to Canada, but you're a you're a commissioner, you know. And, and when I see how FIFA and the IOC and and the heads of those organizations act like they're separate nations, um, certainly the NHL isn't that bad. But you get the sense that Gary Bettman thinks he should, right? Like it, it's just it's bizarre. But as I said, it's not going to change, and it's not going to change until this commissioner leaves and someone is brought in that is um, that is reasonable. But uh, here we are uh, to go back to the Vancast. Or sorry, to go back to VanCast Bingo. <laughs> yeah, VanCast Bingo. I loved it. That was such an awesome. I sent the Reddit user a thread thanking him or like a note thanking him uh, just because I really appreciate that he has listened to us or or they have listened to us loyally enough that they can, you know, as I said to them, um, you know, capture my verbal tics with 8,000% accuracy. <laughs> it was just so fun. So my, my, you know who loved it? My wife loved it. She thought it was great. Well, what he missed was, is there any there there, right? Like, you can't, you can't sure. drench a show without that. Well, and, there and, was a, and there was a lot of there there with the bingo card. And cooking with oil, like, you, you didn't have that here. <laughs> you know, there, there's a few that are missing here that we got to take a closer look at. I mean, this, this requires uh, a lot more from the listeners, from the VIPs to... But it was so funny. Oh, one, because... one, one episode I will, I will record with it in front of me, and I'll hit them all. And uh, and our listeners can guess which episode that is. It wasn't today. I just kept making reference to it every time it came up. I don't think I've hit blackout today, though. Uh, but I will in a future episode for sure. Well, see, because for for me, there, there's the Drancer ticks. But see, when I used to listen to the to the show when it was you and J Pat, and I would I would go on a run and I would listen to it, there would always be some ridiculous five dollar word, which I don't bring out in you apparently. So because I, I can generally <laughs> I can generally understand everything you've said. Whereas before, I'd be like I'd literally stop my run. And I would text. <laughs> I would text the word to myself so that I could come back at you later. So that so good. I'm like what is that? So good. <laughs> Indubitably. Um, yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know why I've stopped that. I think I just ran out of my thesaurus. Like well, I ran out of words to use. Hopefully, the underlying numbers can find us some new words here. <laughs> hey, listen. Big uh, fun as always. I hope you enjoyed the All Star break, my friend. Um, we are going to be back next Thursday after the Canucks back to back games. And uh, in the meantime, hey, listen, did you did you read Ian Mendez? Because I'm going to pump his tires a little bit for um, on Jordan Subban. Yeah, like, you know, as awesome. a guy that weighed in in that debate and, you know, we talked about it in a previous episode of the VanCast, you know, he articulated a lot that, you know, took him two weeks to wrap his head around. He articulated a lot of many of the things I've been feeling on that particular topic that um, while uh, Jacob Panetta may not have intended to to offend or to come across with any kind of racial overtones, um, and you can believe that he did intend it or not, I believe that he didn't intend to, that is secondary to the fact that that's how it was taken and um, impact matters more than intent, right? Um, but, uh, you know, I've also talked about, and Twitter's certainly not the place to have this, but there has to be some gray in the black and white discussion. There has to be some, or we'll never be able to talk our way out of it, right? It just becomes more hate. And, you know, so he, he I think he really encapsulated it well. Ian Mendez is the absolute best. If Ian Mendez feels something strongly and writes it honestly, 
and with the moral clarity that he has, which is actually extraordinarily rare in my view, especially how well it's articulated by him, uh, it's always going to be worth your time, and this was no exception. In fact, this was perhaps the best distillation of it that you'll see. So highly recommend you check it out. Mendez, my favorite guy. That's like, another legitimately one Legitimately for... my favorite guy. I thought I was your favorite guy. That's another one well, for... you both are. That's, a, that's another one for, uh, for Bingo. The best. He's the best. The best. He's the He's best. The best. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> Mike, Mike Legg, the original Michigan goal scorer, joins Ian and our guest co-host, Julian McKenzie, Monday on the Athletic Hockey Show. Cammie Granato joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentile on the Athletic Hockey Show on Tuesday. Meanwhile, Sean Shapiro joins Jesse Granger and Sarah Sivian on the Athletic Hockey Show Roundtable on Wednesday. Also, George Peros, head of uh, player safety for the NHL, joins Mike Russo this week on Straight from the source as for us we thank you for listening we love all our vips you are the true all-stars hopefully you enjoyed the last week thanks for listening to the vancast please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a rating and a review and right now you can get annual subscriptions to the athletic for just 3.99 a month when you visit the athletic.com slash the vancast of course our show returns thursday but hey listen they got one thing wrong on bingo because it said a trance ad read you don't read ads i read them no all. but i sometimes interject with my jokes I figured that's what they meant. Yeah, you do that on Manscaped. That's the only one. <laughs> that's the only one. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you uh, later in the week. Hey, have fun in L.A. Go go eat the uh, the uh, mole pollo tacos at Quesados. Trust me. Just do it. Done. Yeah. Enjoy. Cheers. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.